All right, we hope that you were able to enjoy that worship set. And once again, I'm so delighted that you've chosen to join us for our service today. Now, today what we're doing is we're actually continuing our series called The Great Resignation. And over the past couple of weeks, what we've been talking about is really people's search for ultimate value, significance, and worth in life. That's been propelling this great cultural phenomenon where people are deciding to change careers, locales, and uh, even pursuits in life to ultimately find that significance for which they're looking. And ultimately, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who has all of those things for us as the creator, as the one who by design made us by his power and for himself, and ultimately, wants us to bring us under his rule uh, bring us under his rulership to bring us into his kingdom fulfillment and purposes and so today we're going to end this series by talking about the great resignation with an exhortation from the beloved disciple named John. John the Apostle was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. You might have otherwise known them as the 12 disciples. They were the prayerful, hand-selected disciples that followed Jesus around during his earthly ministry during his three and a half years prior to going to the cross. And on the cross, he would obviously die for our sins, meaning he would be the source of reconciliation between a sinful fallen humanity, the world in which we live, and him, his heavenly father, who ultimately would have to judge the sins of humanity. Jesus would live a sinless life that all of us should have lived and on the cross die a sacrificial death for our wrongdoing that we all should have died. But because of his innocence, three days later would rise from the dead to give not only forgiveness of sins, but new life to all who would put their trust in him, turn from their sins and follow him. Now, John the Apostle heard that message throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. And not only was John one of Jesus' 12 disciples, he was also part of his inner circle, one of his three who came into special missions that Jesus had during his earthly ministry when others would be left behind and um, Jesus would take both those who were in need of healing and also um, Jesus uh, would take Peter and uh, James, uh, John's brother, into rooms to uh, perform miraculous healings. John would be part of that company to witness all of the miraculous things that Jesus did. John, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were celebrating the Passover meal, and John was at the table leaning against Jesus' chest, really be, to describing the intimacy and the fellowship that they had with one another during Jesus' earthly ministry. And so what we're saying all of that for is we want you to know that John was somebody who was intimately acquainted with the Lord. Not only did he know his teachings from a distance, he was up close and personal. And not only that, but had such a relationship with him that he knew his heart. And so when we're talking about things like the great resignation and people trying to ultimately get close to the heart of God, that they might actually know his plans, his purposes, his significance for their lives, then ultimately we can look at no better scripture than the words that have come and been penned from John the Apostle. And so today, today if you'd open your Bible, we're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to talk about the great resignation in this way with this focus statement that we will find rest in Jesus when we choose the ways of God over the ways of the world. That in this great shuffling, this great resignation, ultimately we will find rest in Jesus when we choose the ways of God over the ways of the world. And this is what John the Apostle was talking about in his epistle, his letter to the church, starting again. 
in chapter 2, verse 15. So let's read together now. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to dissect it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you. And in the midst of this great cultural phenomena of the great resignation, you might show us not only who you are, but how to walk with you in a way that's pleasing to you and a way that brings us into the ultimate significance and worth that you have for our lives. God, we're praying that you would cut away every habit of sin and every encumbrance that would keep us from that pure and holy place, that set-apart place in you through your word today in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, so let's look at this scripture and actually understand what God's saying. Ultimately, what we're looking for in this great resignation is a sense of rest. Where finally we feel like we're hitting the mark. You know, in fact, when you talk about sin and the idea of sin, according to scripture, the whole concept of sin is that God and his character has ways and God and his character um, in his word has commands that come out of that character. They're commands to be obeyed because they ultimately bring us into alignment with God and his ways. But God's ways, as the scripture says, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And ultimately, when we come to God, there has to be a, not a meeting in the middle, but really a full and utter submission to God and his ways, rather than the pattern and the ways that we were used to in the world prior to coming to Jesus. Now, a lot of people, as we've talked about in the past couple of messages, try to live in both worlds. They try to claim the name of God while still living in old patterns or old ways, the ways of the world. But ultimately, Jesus said that in the net that he's bringing in for his kingdom, he wouldn't put up with that. That ultimately, we had to have an all-in type of heart with God to get a hold of the life, the life to the full, but also the eternal life that he's called us to in Christ. Now, whenever he's digging down a little bit deeper, John the Apostle was actually talking about what that actually looks like and what that means. And ultimately, when we're talking about having a great resignation, it's not just about finding a better job. It's not just about finding um, a better place to live or quality of life. It's ultimately finding your ultimate relationship and purpose, your peace in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John tells us how to do this. He says, ultimately, you'll be able to do this when you learn not to love the world or anything in the world, but instead love God. Because when you love God, you'll obey his commands. And when you obey his commands, ultimately, you'll find yourself walking in the ways of God and the purposes that he has for your life. When you love the world, you'll be living in rebellion to God. 
You'll be living in sexual immorality and drunkenness. You'll be living in adulteries. You'll li be living in theft and murder, not just murder physically, but hatred towards people. You'll be living in all types of jealousy, factions, dissensions, orgies, and the like. These are all things that are fruits of the flesh that are contrary to the ways of God, which are the ways of the world. Whenever John's saying, do not love the world or the things in the world, obviously he's not talking about the people in the world. John's not saying, do not love the people in the world, because Jesus himself said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if John's not saying not to dis, uh, dislike or lack love for the people in the world, what's he talking about? He's talking about the ways of the world. Do not love the ways of the world or the things in the world. He's obviously not talking about when he's talking about the things of the world. He's not talking about don't enjoy eating or drinking. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says to eat and to drink and to enjoy one's work. In Ecclesiastes, this is actually the gift of God. So he's not saying don't love the people in the world or don't love the things that you can enjoy in the world. He said, but do love people the way that I love them. And enjoy things in the world as I've prescribed you to enjoy them. Sex is a good thing. God said so. But God wants you to enjoy sex or beauty. God wants you to enjoy strength and all types of dignity in the proper manner and not out of order, outside of his ways or his design. So he's saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, again, the ways of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And all this is reflecting is what Jesus himself said whenever he was preaching in his earthly ministry. And he said, listen, do not love money. Don't love money as an example. You can't serve both God and money. Why? Because either you will love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says money in itself isn't a bad thing. Money is a tool to be utilized for the purposes of God. With great generosity, with great faith, and with great devotion to the purposes in the kingdom of God. He says money isn't the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. See, we're just correcting terms that have been thrown out in the culture, but have been distorted in the understanding of what God actually meant when he said it in his word. And so he's saying again, if you love money, you can't love God at the same time because you don't have room for both. In this great resignation, people are understanding and waking up to the fact that my life can't be just about the pursuit of money. It's ultimately not going to satisfy me. Ecclesiastes says, he who has mo loves money never has money enough. Doesn't matter how many zeros you have in your bank account. Followed by, obviously, another number before the zero in your bank account, hopefully. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have a love of money, it's never enough for you. Rockefeller, the great Rockefeller of the Rockefeller family was asked years ago, but prior to his death, he was asked, 
even though you're one of the richest men in the world, when is it that you'll have money enough? How much is enough? And he responded to the question by saying, $1 more. There was always $1 more that he needed to be satisfied because it was never enough. And ultimately, God's saying, if you love the world or the ways of the world or the values of the world or the things that the world says are going to make you important, what your waistline is, how many likes you're getting on your social media page, how many cars you feel like you have, how many bedrooms in your home, how much space you have to entertain, how many trips you've taken in this past year. All of these things are things that the world in its ways try to give you to ascribe worth and value to you. But they are the ways of the world. And if you fill yourself with the pursuit of those things and you fill yourself with a desire to love those things, meaning I've got to have them for my value and my worth, ultimately, then you don't have room in your heart for the love of God. Because those two things, the ways of the world and the ways of God, contradict one another. God says your value does not come from those things. Your value comes from who you belong to. If you are a child of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross, and adopted into his family, your worth comes from what he's done for you, not what you've done for him. And additionally, it's not only what he's done for you, but now in your obedience, what he's called you to do, and ultimately in your faith and obedience, you fulfilling it. It's a different standard, and it's a freeing one at that. But he says, if you love the world or the things in the world, the love of the Father cannot be in you. You need to take an evaluation of your priorities. What does it show you love? What does your bank statement show that you love? Where do you spend your money? When you look at your time, even over the past weeks and months, since you've been let out of lockdown after the pandemic, what have you spent yourself doing most? Spent your time doing most? What are those things that you love? Who do you spend time with? And what do you do with them when you spend time with them? That will tell you what you ultimately love. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't just love the things that the world values. Love me and my ways. Because if you love the world and things in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, verse 16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Let's break that down. He's ultimately saying that in this great resignation, people have been looking for value and worth, but they've been looking for it in the wrong places. They've been looking with the desires of the flesh, right? Number one, what's going to be make, what's going to make me happy as a man is if I can have ultimately as much sex with as many beautiful women as possible. What's going to make me happy as a woman is to be 
appealing and beautiful and attractive and not just be beautiful and attractive so that I command the attention of men, but also I'm brilliant and respected. I have the ability through my intellect and abilities to climb the not only social but business ladder and command a room and get the same respect as a man. Ultimately, I have the desires of the flesh that are going to make me happy. Or maybe you're a foodie. <laughs> and rather than giving your first and your best and a tithe to God, you're saying, ultimately, I am going to enjoy life by enjoying all that my city and all that I have to, uh, that it offers at my fingertips. Restaurants are opened again, and I'm going to spend my great wealth on all the great delicacies, going to the best restaurants, going to the best dining experiences traveling to the best locales and experiencing life. Life as I'm able because of my upwardly mobile lifestyle. He said all of these things, though not being bad in themselves, if they're done in the right context, meaning sex and marriage, having a good, healthy bodily appearance, and not only bodily appearance, but a self-perception because you live a healthy lifestyle and then travel because you're going with God into the things and the purposes that he has for you. Another thing, good in the right context. But when all they are is a source of making you happy, all there are is a lust of the flesh. If they're done outside of God's covenant of marriage, or they're ultimately done as an idolatry, your body is an idol that you bow down to and you can't find happiness until you fit into a certain size of clothing, then ultimately what that is is a lust or a desire of the flesh that is coinciding with the ways of the world and how the world ascribes value rather than how God ascribes value. It's the desires of the flesh, inordinate, misplaced, and therefore you don't have the love of God or room for the love of God in your heart because you're always focused on those things. He says, the desires of the flesh, and number two, the desires of the eyes. I want what I see. I want what I see as I look through my Instagram feed. I look like what I see when I look on my Pinterest post. I like what I see when my friends are sending me Facebook links, and ultimately they're advertising to me what's ultimately going to make me happy. It's the ways of the world, the desires of the eyes. And I'm struggling in my heart with contentment because I feel like unless I have what everyone else has, or at least at minimum what I feel like I deserve. I've worked hard. I've sacrificed. I've given countless hours to my job. Now I feel like I deserve a quality of life that ultimately everyone in my position should experience. It's the desires of the eyes, right? That ultimately tell you, you can't have, be happy unless you have what other people have. That home, at least of a certain size that another person has. The experiences that other people experience. The desires of the eyes push out room for the love of God. 
That's number two. And number three, the pride of life. Part of the great resignation is, if people are honest with themselves, the pride of life. Where it's very legitimate that in the workplaces of today, people are used and many times abused rather than appreciated, thanked, and actually given the commendations that they deserve for their hard work, their contributions, their efforts. But at the same time, there's an opposite side of the coin that there, there's an inordinate desire in the, driven by the pride of life where people are ultimately living for the praise of others. They're living for the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And how that affects us is that in this great resignation, we're looking for a place where ultimately we are going to be highlighted, we're going to be esteemed, and we are going to be celebrated, talked about how great we are. And what it does is ultimately it comes against us living a life that is unseen yet approved. Do you know that much of what God himself will call you to in a life lived in humility before him it cuts against selfish ambition in our lives, which is a fruit of the flesh. Doing things just for my own glory or my own benefit rather than God's glory and the benefit of others. And many people are trying to reorder their lives because they want more for themselves. You see, Proverbs says that this is a crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but men and women are tested by the praise they receive or do not receive. And the boastful pride of life often comes down to who's getting the credit in my world. I want to be able to tell people what I've done. I want to be able to tell people my accolades. I wanted people to tell people my accomplishments. And ultimately, when people extol me, that's going to give me the satisfaction that I desire. But it's a farce because people are fickle and ultimately people are flattering with their lips often in a transactional way. They'll flatter you to get what they want, and ultimately, when you don't provide for them what they're looking for, they'll move on to somebody else. Is that not true? But God always tells the truth, and God tells you exactly what you need to hear, how you need to hear it, when you need to hear it, that you might continue to grow in Him. And the boastful pride of life pushes out the love of God's word and the love of his transformative power in our lives so that we can't hear him, pursue him, or see him as he is. Because it's about our glory, not his. And the great resignation has brought much of that to the surface in many people's cases and scenarios. And that's why, again, John said, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So all of those three things are not from the Father. It's not how God does things. It's not what God wants you to build your life on. God says it's ultimately going to detract from you. It's going to take from you rather than add or multiply any of your efforts. He says, ultimately, it's not my ways, it's the world's. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Don't love the ways of the world. And in this great resignation, you need to understand the world is passing away along with its desires. It's passing away along with its desires. That all the things that people are ultimately running after, 
and ultimately giving themselves to looking for significance. Those things are ultimately passing away according to what God says. But he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Why? Because he gives them eternal life. Those who continue to live in idolatry and live in greed and the things of this world, he says they experience a second death. Death on this earth and then second death to boot. Eternity separated from God in hell. But God says, I want to give eternal life to those who do my will, doing things my way. And then all of a sudden, if we embrace that, we begin to take great delight in not only God's commands, but the fruit of his commands. We begin to take delight in not just being seen by people, but being seen first and most importantly by God. And when God approves of what we're doing, then we have great joy in that which we're putting our hands to, regardless of who approves of it or not. For example, the complaint of parenting and child rearing today is that in this great resignation, so many people are talking about the fact that my child is ultimately getting in the way of my dreams. I'm not able to go back to work in my career as I want to because I have this responsibility of taking care of this child. It's an unseen thing. Nobody's praising me when I'm cooking for them. I'm cleaning for them. I'm teaching them how to care for themselves clean their rooms, make their own beds, helping them with their homework so that they in their generation might do the will of God. Nobody's praising me there, but in the workplace out in the world, everybody will see what I do and praise me because of it. Or maybe if I could just put what I'm doing with my child in the secret place on social media, then somebody will praise me for my efforts. And so people begin throwing off the things that God actually says will last and things that are important because ultimately we want to give ourselves to the temporary things, the things that are going to pass away. Where you can be a part of building a business, but once you retire, nobody will remember your name. <laughs> you might have sacrificed and given those long hours at the expense of going to a child's game or being with them at night to see them tucked into bed or actually being involved in discipling them, shaping them according to the word and the commands of God, that they might grow up into his fullness in the, in the knowledge of Jesus himself. So they, they might also do the will of God. But because you are pursuing other things that are passing away, you didn't do the will of God in that scenario. And what God's trying to bring us back to in this great resignation is do the things that are going to last. Do the things that are of worth. Do the things that I put my approval on. I put my pleasure on because when you do my will, it's not only going to abide forever, but you will as well. Living in me in the eternal life that I've given you. And so ultimately today, when we finish talking about this idea of the great resignation, what we're doing is we're trading. We're making a trade. We're saying, God, I am trading out the things that will not last for the things that will. And what will last are you, your word, which will never pass away, your commands and your kingdom into which you've invited me. And so God, I'm asking you to help me today to lay down my idolatries, Lay down whatever pursuit, whatever idea of success, whatever idea of fulfillment I've put above and before you and actually do the will of God now. I'm going to pursue the things that you said to pursue. 
It's not going to be led by the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, or the boastful pride of life, but I'm going to be led by my love for you, your kingdom, and actually find myself in your gospel plans for my life. And if you find yourself today saying, you know what, I've lived a life that's been out of order, even as a Christian, but today I want to give myself to God fully, wholly, set apart to Him, that I might actually truly find rest in Him as I trade in the ways of the world for His ways. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters today, and I thank you that you show us there's a clear distinction between not only the ways of the world and the ways of God, but also the fruit of the ways of the world and the fruit of the ways of God. And your ways are higher and better. God, I'm asking you that you would deliver my brothers and sisters today from the idolatry of really the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, and that you would help them in repentance and faith to give themselves wholly to the kingdom things that you say will abide forever. God, I pray you would give them great faith and courage for that in Jesus' name today. Amen. And now for you, if anyone's watching today and you say, you know what? I realize that the ways of the world that I've been living according to have led to nothing but sadness, despondency, despair, death, and ultimately God says hell to come. But I don't want that in the judgment. And I want to receive what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross by his substitutionary death and sacrifice for me there. If you want to come into right relationship with God today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner. And I admit that I've lived according to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. I know I deserve death and hell, but I don't want it. And I'm asking you today to forgive me for my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus, your son, to live the perfect life according to your ways that I should have lived. And on the cross died the sacrificial death that I should have died. But three days later, you raised him from the dead. So not only could I have forgiveness of my sins, but new life in you. God, would you forgive me today and make me a new creation? I proclaim Jesus, my Lord, and ask you to teach me how to love you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So when you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life, there you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in Christ in great undivided, uh, undivided love for the living God. We want to stand with you as you do so. So please, if you need prayer, click on that prayer button below. And for the rest of us, let's go back into worship now giving our hearts, our minds, and our souls to the one who's truly loved us so.